Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through your Son. Teach us through the word that we've just heard and equip us for every good work, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, honesty time, hands up. Who has a gym membership here? Anyone? A couple of people. Well done. Well, recently, I've started doing the opposite of going to the gym. I've started playing golf, all right? Uh, but as I look from the outside of gyms and golf clubs or other sporting clubs, the successful ones seem to be plugging into the idea of human beings' want for community, our good desire to be a part of a community. And as we track the advertisement campaigns, it's sort of moved from come here to get ripped to come to our gym. We're not just a gym, but we are a family. Uh, one of my friends used to own a gym and he even bragged to me once upon a time about the we weekly midweek catch-ups over a meal that his gym used to offer. I've heard golf clubs advertise, if you join our golf club, you'll be a part of the, the WhatsApp community and we can encourage each other to keep on golfing. Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> but the reality is, and I don't want to bag out these clubs too much, but these clubs are fragile in a way because if I stopped playing golf, if I chose another sport, no more golf club. If you got injured, no more gym. Uh, in summertime, no more soccer or AFL. In winter, no more cricket. Because the thing that draws these people together is that one shared interest, gym, golf, whatever it might be. And the reality is that will only get you so far. Isn't that remarkably different to church? As we look around this room, people with different interests, different nationalities, different cultures, different languages even, people that have nothing in common on the surface are drawn together, not by shared social interests, not by the qualities that we possess, but because of God's love. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus obtained the church by his blood, that in love God predestined us for adoption into his family through Jesus Christ that Jesus gave himself to redeem a people from wickedness, to purify people for himself, for his very own possession. Isn't this remarkable? How beautiful church is. And as you may know, the Bible actually has a very big, big view of church. However, sadly, we often have too little of a view of church. Uh, I've been heartbroken to hear friends of mine, people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need a local church. Don't need to meet with the people of God. I actually think this is a tragedy. We need the people of God in good times, and we desperately need them in the hard times. It's heartbreaking to see when people aren't concerned for the church. So this afternoon, are you concerned for the people of God? Do you rejoice when you see the acts of love on display by the people of God? Do you pray for the people of God? I think our Bible reading today has two big themes. The first theme is quite obviously an example for ministers to follow in Paul's example. Uh, but the second theme, which we're going to focus on this afternoon, it brings it closer to the pews. This passage tells everyone to lift our eyes and elevate our view of church, to elevate how we see the people of God. And central to that is love. Because in these verses, we get a glimpse to how the Apostle Paul views the local church in Thessalonica and his love for her. Now, a big theme of this book is the return of Jesus and preparing yourself for that return. And as we wait for that day, we are to, as Dave has introduced, 
press on. And I think having the right view of church, a right view of the people of God, helps us today press on in love. And there are three things that I want us to notice from this passage to help us press on in love together. And point one is Paul's concern for them is out of love. Now, time and time again in this series already, we have seen Paul's affection for the people of God in Thessalonica throughout this letter. Uh, Last week, Dave, he showed how Paul was both the caring father and mother, how he didn't just proclaim the word of God with them, but he shared his own life with them. And at the end of chapter 2, we heard it read by Lucy. We got a glimpse into the heartbreak it was when he left the Sinaiga and just how eager Paul was to return to them. Uh, Picking it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, helpful to keep a Bible out with you. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. It gives Paul no pleasure that he had to leave the church. And the distance in this case has made his heart grow fonder for the people of God. And Paul wants to see the dear brothers and sisters again. And so in chapter 3, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. You can't help to notice once again Paul's concern for the people of God in this place. He tried to see them, but Satan hindered him. He was blocked. And when he couldn't bear it no longer, he sent his beloved friend, his apprentice, his co-worker, Timothy. Now, this was costly for Paul. As it said, he was left alone. Why was he willing to send Timothy? Because he was concerned for them out of love. Paul loves the people of God in this place. And he knows the realities of this world that they are living in. The dangers, the hostile environment, the tactics of the evil one, the trials, the afflictions that they were facing, that he had warned them about. And he was so desperately concerned to them that he sent his friend Timothy to strengthen, to encourage that no one would be unsettled by these trials, that no one would be moved during these afflictions. And Paul wanted to hear about their faith. And Paul's concern is out of love. And I think that love is born out of proximity he knew them they knew him and we saw how he shared his life with them in that previous chapter and by way of application for us today as we press on in love together our concern our love for one another means that we must be a part of one another's lives Uh, as dave has already shared uh, and we share it often our mission at christ our refuge is to know christ love the church and serve the city that's our mission And the steps, the ways in which we're going about this mission is Sundays, which welcome you've been a part of today, uh, daily grace, home groups, and living scent. And the reality is the ministry of turning up as you have done today, being a part of this Sunday, if you're able to be a part of a home group, is vital to be loved and to receive love from one another. Uh, You may be familiar with the 59 one another's in the New Testament. Some of them are on the screen behind me. 
Uh, you can go and count all 59. I had to do that just to make sure they were there. I've shared the ones uh, that struck me. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you can't do these alone. We need the church. We need to be around the people of God so that we can wash another's, one another's feet in service to each other, so that we can be patient and bear with one another, so that we can know what to pray for for one another. As we build each other up, we need to gather. I can pass on the extended list uh, on that WhatsApp group later on. Uh, I love the quote that's attributed to uh, a Sydney uh, evangelist uh, by the name of John Chapman, Chapo, as he's um, known. He said, the encouragement I need today, God has placed on the lips of my brothers and sisters. We need to turn up in one another's lives, in good times and in hard times. And the reality is, I don't think turning up, I don't think loving one another comes particularly natural to us. We have to make time for it. We have to work at it. And we need to build space into our week to love one another as we press on in love. Uh, as I've thought about this, perhaps um, you've heard of this illustration before, but there's a classic leadership illustration where the motivational speaker brings to the stage a big bucket and he puts rocks in the buckets all the way up to the top and he asks the crowd, is this bucket full? And the crowd responds with a yes. And then, very smart, he gets these smaller pebbles, he fills the bucket up again, and is this bucket full? And the crowd says, yes. And then he gets sand, water, and he keeps filling it up. And the point of that illustration is to show you that you can always increase your capacity. That's not the point today. <laughs> the point of that illustration today is that the rocks are the important things in our life. The sand is the stuff that fills up our calendar. Still important, but not as important as the rocks. And if you put the sand in first, the rocks, the important things, they won't ever fit. Uh, at Christ Our Refuge, we will always show grace as a community for those that are doing it tough, coming on a Sunday or home group. Uh, this is a place where you can find refuge in Christ. But I want to ask, what are your priorities when it comes to gathering with the people of God? As you plan out your week, as a church, can we make meeting the, with the people of God a rock in our life, the first thing that goes in, not just something that you fit around other commitments. Because the reality is, with the tactics of the evil one, if we don't prioritize meeting with the people of God, our calendars fill up with sand, with stuff, and there are no space to love one another, no space for the 59 other one another's. What are the rocks in your life? Let us be concerned with one another. Let us be in community with one another. Let us endeavor all the more to see one another face to face as Paul endeavored to see the church in Thessalonica. As we press on, let us be like Paul and be concerned for the people of God, which is sourced from our love. Point one, Paul's concern for them is out of love. And point two from the text, I want you to notice that Paul's joy is from seeing their faith and love on display. First, we saw this uh, at the end of chapter 2 in verse 19. If you've got a Bible, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 19 of our reading. Uh, For what is our hope or joy or crown or of boasting before our, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Uh, now, as I was preparing this sermon, I underlined that, that verse because I didn't know what that meant. 
How can Paul boast about these converts? They're Jesus' converts. Uh, my questions were raised here, and I, I went to John Stott, who I always go to uh, for the answer. And there's a quote on the, on the screen behind me. He helpfully explained to me, and I, and I trust you, the Thessalonians are trophies of Christ crucified. What Paul seems to mean in this transport of love is that his joy in this world and his glory in the next are tied up with the Thessalonians, whom Christ, through the apostles' ministry, has so signally transformed. So uh, rather, just like how a teacher at school may be joyful, may boast when his or her student gets an A+, this is something what Paul is doing here. He finds joy when he sees that the, 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 the church in Thessalonica are grounded in their faith, that they are pressing on in love. They are his joy. And Paul is moved from concern to comfort when he receives the pull back from his dear friend, Timothy. Uh, we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about, your, about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. And what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we see in these verses, Paul's joy is tied up with the church displaying the two fundamental characteristics of the Christian life, faith and love. Well, what are they? Well, faith to begin with, faith just means trust, dependence and reliance on something else, someone else. Uh, the reality is we trust, we depend and we rely on many things in this world. There's a lot of people that have mistrust in the things of this world. But the Thessalonians, what we heard in Dave's sermon on chapter 1, they had turned from trusting in idols, turned from trusting themselves, turned to trust the living and true God and serving Him. No longer trusting in idols, not longer trusting in themselves, but in Christ. Now that came at a cost for that church. It resulted in persecution. And Paul here is comforted, is joy joyful at hearing their faith. The second characteristic on display is the church's love. Now you'll be familiar perhaps with Jesus' commandment to his followers to love one another. Uh, in John chapter 15 uh, verses 12 and 13, the words are on the screen behind me. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, what does love look like? I could make a list. The sermon would be too long if I listed out all the ways that we can love one another. But the underlining key to our acts of love is self-sacrifice, as we see in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is talking about the cross of Christ, love in action, where Jesus laid down his life in our place. And so important is the cross that John Stott wrote in his book, The Cross of Christ, if we are looking for a definition of love, we should not look into a dictionary, but at Calvary. See, at Calvary, God takes our failure to love seriously. See, we have failed to love God as we ought. We have failed to love one another as we should. 
you know that you not that you have not loved as you should have all of us have failed and therefore we all need to look at the cross of christ and see clearly that we have that the cross of christ is saying two things the first thing is that we have a bad track record. We have sinned against God. We have loved and worshipped created things rather than the creator of things. And the penalty of that is death. And the second thing that the cross says is that you matter to God. Things that look on the contrary at first glance. Your bad track record, but you matter to God. Both are true because God has done something about it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the one who turns aside wrath onto himself, away from those trusting in Jesus for our sins. Now, those who have been drawn together by love, Christians, we are to love one another, not to earn God's love, but because we have been loved by God. And we see no greater display of God's love than the cross of Christ, the great example of love, which is the object of the Thessalonians' faith and is the object of our trust, reliance, our faith. Already at Christ our refuge, uh, I've been so joyful, I've been so excited and so just happy to see the examples of love on display in our church. People showing up to church, people praying for one another, Meals being made, caring for one another's children, following people up when they haven't been at church, helping people move homes. Thank you to Josh and Lucy the other day for us, helping us move homes. Uh, accepting one another's shortfalls, forgiving one another, listening to one another during difficult times. Let us continue to rejoice at seeing these acts on, of love on display in our church. And let us strive to increase in our love all the more, laying down our lives for the sake of others. And although the church in Thessalonica had done this, their faith, their love was on display, they were not yet perfect. So point three, Paul prays. And Paul's prayer is all about their love increasing. Uh, I love what Tim Keller writes about prayer. Uh, he said this, to praise to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on god for everything it's beautiful words and when we pray we are acknowledging who god is he is in charge and we are dependent on him uh, we saw the prayer we saw paul's prayer in verse 10 he is dependent on god to visit them it says in verse 10 as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith uh, now paul changes from telling his readers about his prayer to actually praying for them in verse 11 paul torn away far from the church he prays for them uh, verse 11 now may our god and father himself and our lord jesus christ direct our way to you and make the Lord make you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do. Now I'm about to get to the content of that prayer, but before I do, and I've shared this in a smaller group earlier in the, later last year, uh, but in the past sort of 12 months, uh, I've had a lot of friends in need of help, where illness has struck, where family tragedies have taken place, where they have found themselves out of their depth and out of control. I have felt helpless 
to help in many of these situations. And in the face of these situations, I've had two comments made. I've heard two comments said to these people. The first comment, my thoughts are with you. Now, that's a beautiful comment. It shows care and empathy. It shows someone's concern and love. But Christians, well, we get the privilege to act out our love and say, I will pray for you and pray for that person. Asking for God's help in a seemingly hopeless situation. You're seeing Christians everywhere, no matter the distance, we get the privilege to get our hands dirty in one another's lives by putting our hands together and praying. Praying for one another. And I love that at our church, and Ron just did this a moment ago, we get to pray for persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. I've never met any of these persecuted brothers and sisters. But isn't it remarkable that we get to put our hands together and pray for them? To be, and wouldn't it be wonderful for our church, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to be known as we press on in love, to be a people of prayer, to be remembered as a people who know that we are wholly dependent on God for everything, and so we are wholly devoted to prayer, praying for ourselves, praying for our church. Uh, going back to verse 12, did you notice the content of Paul's prayer? Uh, verse 12, I'll read it again. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. He prays that their love may increase for one another, and not only that, for all, for their love to expand to all people. Now this means the local church, us, we have a role in expanding our love outside these church walls. It mustn't forget the people within the church, but to expand, to include everyone else. We must indeed serve the city with our love. Uh, now there's no currently formal program in serving the city, but do not wait for a formal program to get started. There are many ways for us to already be serving the city of Brisbane in our jobs and the opportunities we have in our neighborhoods, our friends, and so on. To lay down our lives for the sake of others, their practical needs, their cultural needs, and indeed their spiritual needs. And hope that God will use our efforts for people's good and for his glory. Uh, well, to close tonight, we have spoken a lot about love God's love towards us, which has brought us together, and our love in response to God's love as we press on in love. But I want to close with the final question. What is going to motivate our love for one another as we press on? Because I am acutely aware that me saying, do this, do this, do this, it's not going to work. But I think the greatest stimulus for us to press on in love is to elevate our view of God's people. And there's no greater stimulus than the constant reminder of Christ's love shown to us at the cross and knowledge of his coming in glory. You see, Jesus' death, our love for one another is in response to God's love sending his only son to be a sacrifice for our sin. And because you are secure in his love, that gives us a security that will motivate us to put to death self-centered behaviors and put on other person-focused behaviors. Let us spur on one another to make other person-centered action the rocks in our lives. Uh, it's worth mentioning even now 
we fail to live perfect lives. We need to show each other grace. But for those who are trusting in Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, past, present and future, have already been paid for at the cross, which frees us up to press on in love as we do so. Let us be concerned for one another. Let us rejoice in seeing one another's faith and love on display. And let us pray that we may abound all the more in love. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for your love and kindness shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in love you have not left us in our sin, left us in our guilt, nor our shame, but you have sent your Son to live die and rise again for us and our salvation according to the scriptures lord may you help us to increase and abound in love for one another as we seek to love the church may you help us to increase and abound in love for all people in the city of brisbane and beyond as we serve the city empowered by your spirit may you establish our hearts blameless in holiness as we look forward to the coming of our lord jesus christ prepare us for that day for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.